Our second lesson today comes from the lectionary. It's from the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm reading from the 25th chapter. And I'm reading beginning at the 14th verse. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. So listen for the word of the Lord as it comes to us from Matthew. For it is, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you have handed over to me two talents. See, I have made Two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So the talent from him, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who had ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. So what do you do with what you've been given? First of all, I want to say thank you. Today is Stewardship Dedication Sunday, and even knowing what today was, you showed up for worship. (laughs) And you showed up to dedicate your life again to God's work. Most of you knew it was Stewardship Dedication Sunday, right? And you even showed up. And I want to say thank you. I say thank you sincerely because reports say that one of the most often listed reasons that people are drifting away from the church or not coming to church is the the reason that churches talk too much about money. That's the complaint. Churches talk too much about money. And here we are. Here you are uh, on the day when we're asked to commit our lives, make our pledges to God's work through the church for another year. I want to say... Thank you. Thank you for being 
the bold disciples that you want to be, I think I could make the case that we don't talk often enough about money. See, just as the scriptures remind us, money is a pretty good measure of our faithfulness. And if our lives are serious about loving and serving in this city and in this world, it will be reflected in our checkbooks. It will be reflected in our bank accounts and in our pledges. That's why Jesus talks often about money. Where your treasures are, there your heart is also. So we should be talking about money. Moreover, churches never or should not be talking about money just for money's sake. Churches talk about money so that churches can serve God better in the world. We don't exist for ourselves here. We exist to serve God. That's it. We exist to bear God's light and be God's people in this city so that we can promote the reign of Christ near and far. We exist to know Christ and make Christ known. That's it. So that's the only reason we talk about money. Money and the giving of our money and the making of our pledges allows us to serve God in this place and on these streets and as far as we can go. That's why we exist. So we talk about money as a means to faithfully following Jesus Christ our Lord. So now I want to offer you a surprise. This text that I just read is not about money. It's not. So we're not going to talk about money anymore. We're going to talk about this text. This story from Scripture, a parable of the talents, it's called, is not about money. Sure, it's about a master who goes away, and before he leaves, he gives some talents to three different slaves. To one, he gives five talents. To another, he gives two. And to another, he gives one. We assume that talent is money. In fact, one translation of this text says that the master gave $5,000 to the first one, $2,000 to the second one, and $1,000 to the third. The parable is about what each slave does with what's been given to him. And as you heard, the first one took the money to the market. In fact, he gave it to wealth management advisors, it seems. And it was invested in high-risk high risk ventures. The second slave did the same thing, put the money to work somewhere else and at some risk. And both of those people do very well. Each, in fact, doubles the money. So when the master returns, he's very pleased with the first two. He says the exact same thing to both of them. Well done. Enter into the joy that you have prepared. He commends them for their responsibility and he commends them for their bold action with the talents. The third slave takes a different approach. His one talent he takes, digs a hole and puts it in the ground, burying it for safekeeping. Now, in a time of stock market volatility, that's probably a pretty prudent thing to do, right? He's certainly not a bad person and we often miss that point. He's not a bad person. He doesn't lose the money. He doesn't waste it like other stories talk about wasting and losing and throwing it away. He does none of that. All the money that he was given, he returns to the master. In fact, he says, here it is. He's proud that he didn't lose it or waste it. He gives it all back. 
Here it is, safe and sound, he says. And for this effort, for this effort, he gets treated as harshly as anybody in all of Scripture. You wicked and lazy slave, the master says, and says, throw him out into the outer darkness. Dispense with him. What do you do with what you've been given? This is not a story about money. It's a story, and it's a very important one, about how we live. And actually, it's a story about how we live in light of God's promised coming back among us. The eschaton is what it's called, when God comes finally and fully to bring about the kingdom of heaven. When it comes about, is a point in time. And how we live in anticipation of that point is what this story is about. How we live in light of God's promised return. When God rules the world in fullness. When our lives are always and fully accountable to God because God is in our presence. In fact, in this section of Matthew's gospel, there are four stories in a row about the very same thing, making the same point. We are living in the meantime between when we've been called to be disciples and when God returns in fullness. That's when we're living. And all four of these passages are asking, how are we going to live in anticipation of the coming of God in fullness? The eschaton. When the master returns, that's the language. When the king comes back, that's the language. When the bridegroom shows up, that's the language. Jesus keeps telling us these stories so that we'll be ready. Ready. And it's not like the bumper sticker says. When the rapture happens, this car is going to be unoccupied. It's not like that. It's not like another old adage that says, God is coming soon, so look busy. It's not about that. It's not about that either. These parables of Jesus are urging uh, from our lives faithfulness with all we have and all we are every day of our living. In the time when we are waiting for the full arrival of the kingdom of God, how we live matters very much. That's the point of this passage and the passages around it. In anticipation of the promised return of Christ, who rules the quick and the dead, as we say in the Apostles' Creed, the faithfulness of our lives, the commitments of our lives, the engagement of our lives in the world as disciples, the love and light with which we seek to share, that is what matters. That's what matters. So while we may assume that this passage is about money and we're inclined to think that on Stewardship Dedication Sunday, today the passage is really not about money. It's about how we live. It's about how we live. How do we live? How do we live? Do we live boldly for God? Or do we live with fear? Do we hold back and emphasize our prudence and our safety and let fear dictate us and bury basically what's been given to us? Or do we take risks and venture forward and go for it in the name of God, in our lives and in our world? 
seeking to be faithful disciples. How do we live? See, in light of the coming of Jesus Christ in the fullness of time, that promised return, that uncalendared return, we're called to live not with caution, but with commitment. In light of the master's return, we're to live not fearfully, but faithfully striving to boldly commit our lives to God's work and service, seeking to be instruments of God's transforming ways in the city and everywhere we might find ourselves. We live not holding tightly to what's been given to us, but going for it in God's service. That's what this passage is about. The greatest risk of all, as it turns out, is not to risk anything. The old adage, nothing ventured, nothing gained, applies very much to discipleship. That's what this passage is telling us. The greatest risk of all when it comes to faith is not to care deeply, not to be profoundly engaged. That's the greatest risk. The greatest risk of all here and in other places in Scripture is a lukewarm faith. Lukewarm faith that lacks sincere commitment, compassion, engagement in the world. The greatest risk of all is to play it safe, to live cautiously. When we live like that, we're not only falling short of what God intends for us, when we live like that cautiously and with fear, we're going to find ourselves left out of the joy that God has prepared and maybe worse than that, cast into the outer darkness. That's what this passage is saying. You heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer said that the real sin of respectable people like us is running from responsibility. Bonhoeffer, you may recall, was the pacifist theologian of World War II era who took his responsibility so seriously that he joined the resistance movement in Europe and he helped to plan the assassination of Hitler. This sense of responsibility of this Christian pastor and pacifist cost Bonhoeffer his very life. And his life was the opposite of living cautiously. His life was the opposite of living fearfully. His life embodied commitment and engagement and tremendous responsibility. His life in, embodied bold faithfulness. So what do you do with what you've been given? For most of us, our life of faith is... Not a high-risk adventure, is it? We assess our lives. We join the church. We make our pledges another year. We give our time. We can do all of this with lots of caution and with, great, uh, with few risks. Lots of caution and few risks. We may not even have to alter our lifestyles too much, or even our priorities, we think. So what kind of faith do we have then when we're listening to this passage? This is exactly what Jesus is pushing us on. 
Jesus wants us to move from sloth and caution and few risks to faithfulness, boldness. Jesus wants us to move from membership to discipleship. Jesus expects us to take risk for God. Jesus exhorts us to be led by our faith, not fear. Led by commitment, not caution. Led by passion, not prudence. Calls for each of us to be Christ's voice and Christ's hands in this city, in these complicated times. Embody the gospel, he's saying. It's about how we live. Are we bold? Are we brave? Are we reaching high and caring deeply? This is what Jesus wants from us. All of us. I've been reading a very compelling book in these recent weeks. It's a book by best-selling author Laura Hillenbrand. She also wrote Seabiscuit. Her latest book is called Unbroken, a World War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption. And on the Sunday after Veterans Day, it is especially pertinent. Unbroken is the true story of Louis Zamperini, a skinny kid from Torrance, California, who ran the 5,000 meters in the 1936 Olympics. Zamperini flew on B-24 bombers in the Pacific Theater in World War II. And in late May 1943, Zamperini's plane crashed in the ocean. And Zamperini and two others, out of a crew of 11, three of them found themselves floating on a raft in the middle of the Pacific. A flimsy raft, barely holding itself together. The raft, in a little pocket, had two pieces of chocolate and a couple tins of water. As they floated on the waves, the sharks came around them, circling it. And these three figured will be rescued in a day or two at the most. No rescue occurred. Imagine floating on a flimsy raft in the Pacific day after day. One of the three, Phil, sustained a bad head injury in the crash of the plane into the ocean. He was the pilot. Another of the three, Mac, when the two were sleeping, he ate all the chocolate on the second day. This was the chocolate that they had agreed to ration little by little until they were rescued. It was the only nourishment on the raft. A few days of floating turned into a week, no rescue in sight, and then another week. And then another week, and then many more weeks, and the three were floating on the ocean, drifting miles and miles. The sun was baking their bodies during the day, the salt water causing their lips and their nostrils to swell beyond recognition. Their bodies were covered with sores as they were sitting in the salt water and that kept them warm at night. And their bodies were wasting away from malnutrition and dehydration. The survival of three men in this small raft is going to depend and did depend on just how they went through every single day 
Phil and Louie kept their minds stimulated and they engaged in talking about anything and everything. Every memory of their childhood they shared. Recipes and the manner with which their mother fixed a certain dish they shared so that they could recite them to each other. They played quiz games just to try to stay alert. Mac mostly kept to himself. He was perhaps filled with the gnawing anger that he had eaten all the chocolate on the second day and couldn't get over that. Phil and Louie worked to stay focused and hopeful. Mac would stand up in the raft and have these fits of craziness, losing his mind, giving in to hopelessness. The, the three of them tried to figure out how to catch a bird or how to catch some fish, which they did, how to accumulate rainwater as it fell and didn't get mixed with the salt water so it would be impure again and problematic. They worked at all of this, but there was a drastic difference between the three of them living each day. Now, given the dismal record of raft-bound men floating in the Pacific, Mac's despair was totally reasonable. What was remarkable and is remarkable is that the two men who shared Mac's raft didn't fall into his hopelessness and his fear. They were all three in this dreadful, potentially disastrous situation, but two of the three lived with boldness and commitment and hope. And two of the three stayed engaged and conversant about any and all things. And Mac's fear increasingly paralyzed him. His resignation that he was going to die paralyzed him. He did less and less with the other two in terms of helping and being helped. And Mac died on that raft. Louis and Phil stayed bold. They stayed engaged. They stayed working together. They stayed helping each other. And those are the two who survived. They survived not only seven full weeks floating on this raft in the Pacific, but two more years in Japanese prison camps, the people who captured them. This is an incredible story of faith and fortitude and engagement. That story echoes also what Jesus is trying to tell us not about money. It's about living. Do you live with caution? Or do you live with commitment? Do you live with fear? Or do you live with faith? Do you worry more about prudence and let it paralyze you? Or do you live passionately, engaged as disciples of Jesus? These are the questions that we're being asked today. Are we driven by fear? Or faithfulness? Do we fall into despair and eventually outer darkness? Or do we seek to be bold and confident and courageous, living with commitment, no matter what comes our way? See, we're on the life raft of life. We all are. And Jesus keeps calling forth our very best. Calling forth our go-for-it faithfulness right where we find ourselves in ways that serve God. And then we'll know the joy that's been prepared for us. The light and hope that's been prepared for us. One sign of our boldness, one sign of our faithfulness, 
might be the pledge cards that we carry forward today up this center aisle. Does it reflect for you more caution or more commitment? If it's more caution, you can tear it up and find another one on your pew there. Jesus isn't interested in caution. Jesus is interested in commitment. Caution is problematic for Jesus. Bold faith and discipleship is what Jesus asks from us. Today, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, and with whatever comes our way. Bold faithfulness is what Jesus asks of us. The greatest risk of all is not to risk for God. Not to give our hearts, not to give our lives. The greatest risk is to play it safe, to live cautiously. We're all seeking, all of us, to move from membership to discipleship. We're all seeking to embody the commitments, the love, the joy, the faithfulness of Christ our Lord. May it keep blossoming in each of us, growing deeper in each of us today and forever. For we seek to be God's people in this place and as far as we can go in God's service. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O God, help our unbelief, shape us and mold us toward deep faith and commitment, following Christ our Lord. Amen.